Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is John O'Beaver, the Red Star of Minnesota from Ring General Radio. You are listening to the 4D Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Hard Day Diaries. Um, I normally don't do this, but uh, this is intro one of two on the show. Um, After recording the show, I realized I need to explain and set it up a little bit better than I did in the show. So, uh, my guest today is Dan Schlissel. Dan's the owner of Stand Up Records. Um, On this episode, we're going to talk about the friends of his and artists that he's lost on the label. Uh, information for this episode has links to their work if you want to listen to it so the description is kind of important there's a lot of different things um, some of the content some of the stories that were talked about in uh, the actual episode so I wanted to make sure I gave you the extra content that you could find it pretty easily if you wanted to so go ahead and look into the description you can find all that information in one easy spot also like comment subscribe all that fun stuff but that's it for this intro. Now, welcome to intro number two. All right, welcome everybody to a new episode of Hard Day Diaries. Thanks for uh, waiting it out with me. It's been a, a very hectic last couple months or so. I've been uh, ran out of all my extra episodes I had recorded, so uh, we're hoping to get some more going here. So if you want to be on the show, let me know. Hit me up. Uh, you can find me at andymadfield.com or you can hit up Hard Day Diaries on Instagram or any of that stuff. You can find me there. Uh, so uh, it's been a good month. I've been pretty busy doing a lot of comedy been around doing a lot of things so you can follow me on my my facebook at matt failed uh and on instagram all that stuff cool cool cool. all right i'm done with the intro uh it's been too <laughs> long it's just been too long uh so i want to welcome my guest today uh stand-up record recording owner dan schlissel hi there how are we today uh doing all right thanks overall so you and i have uh had an interesting last uh last couple weeks yeah and we First, we met just kind of chatting, and now uh, we kind of talked about how we wanted to do this episode and, and getting to where we're at. And then uh, in the last week, we both have lost friends that were close to us. Yeah. So uh, this podcast is actually going to be about uh, people that you've lost on your record label alone, but also that were friends of yours. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So if you're not in the mood for a heavy episode, uh, maybe uh, listen to something else, but... Uh, yeah, now would be a good time to get some microwave popcorn and tune somewhere other than us. Yeah, it's going to be real deep and real, um, which is obviously the the meaning of this podcast. Uh, Dan and I have been talking for the last like half hour, hour or so, just kind of figuring out a little bit of our lives and where we're at <laughs> and uh, troubleshooting some internet because, you know, that's, that's what we do now. Uh, but uh, turns out that we had to unplug it and replug it. Yeah, I mean, then. yeah. It fixes it all the time. Almost every time. Yeah. You know, I learned that from the movie Skyscraper last night. 
<laughs> right away in the beginning, The Rock was like telling his wife, all you gotta do is reboot your phone. And she's like, I like it when you do it. And then she reboots it. Spoiler alert at the end. She reboots a fucking skyscraper. That's the full circle of the whole movie. Well, there you have it. Just watch that movie. It's so fucking funny. It's the best comedy I've seen in years. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a decent comedy I've seen in a while. Watch Skyscraper. All right. But watch from the perspective of a comedy. Beautifully written. Okay. I'll give that a I'll give that a shot. It's got a lot of physical humor. It's got a lot of action. I want to see that Stan and Ollie movie really badly. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Which Steve Coogan is uh Stan Laurel and I believe it's John C. Riley playing Oliver Hardy. Okay, yeah, I could yeah. Yep. Yeah. You had me at John C. Riley. I just like yeah. the serious stuff he does. Uh, if it's like I, I kind of go back and forth because uh, some of that uh, Tim and Eric stuff's a little bothersome to me. Oh, you don't like Dr. Steve Brule? I, for moments I do. For moments <laughs> I don't. You know, it just depends. Yeah. Yeah, it's hit or miss. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, <laughs> you know, not the target audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't do a lot of drugs. <laughs> no, not at this point. No. <laughs> when that came out, I didn't either. And I was like, I don't understand this. And then I just got older and was like, oh, it wasn't for me to understand. And yeah. I, and then I got it. Yeah, I just, I, but, I've kind of aged out of that kind of partying. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not against it. <laughs> but, but it's not my cup of tea. Right. Uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of, t- do you want to talk about kind of how the record started? Um, oh, I just kinda... talked about the label starting in my dorm room about a bazillion times. Perfect. So look on uh, other podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It, it... Sorry, guys. If you want to know that, uh, you spell my last name, S-C-H-L-I-S-S-E-L. Look that up uh, with podcast. Perfect. And uh, you'll probably find a million versions of the same story. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Uh, yeah. Good. Sorry, I, I just, why no. waste the time? It's like a Spider-Man movie at that point. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. we don't need a Uncle Ben dies. Uncle uh, Ben dies, a spider bites yeah. the guy, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Now you're, now you're caught up. Great power, great responsibility. <laughs> All right, so let's let's cut into it. Let's, we've got a list of people. Yeah, so let's talk about uh Let's talk about number one on the list. Uh, well, I have them slightly out of order just because I wanted to make sure I got everybody. And I don't my memory for timelines isn't particularly good. So I'm going to try and reconstruct like who passed away first. Yeah. So bear with me. Um, I think the first person on the list that passed away was Mike DiStefano. Yeah. And, uh, Mike DiStefano, if you don't know who that is, you should look up his comedy. He did a very touching story at the moth that is not comedy about, uh, taking his AIDS stricken wife on a final ride on his Harley before she passed away. And it's a, it'll break your heart, but this guy could also be insanely funny to the point where he he basically, he's like a New York tough guy, right? New York Italian tough guy, not a mobster, but like he has a lot of those mannerisms and, and verbal tics. Yeah. And then he says some of the smartest shit you've ever heard in your life, but then we'll, Couple it with some of the just basest humor, deep belly guffaws that you know you shouldn't be laughing at. <laughs> and uh, he was uh, he was raised Catholic, but was really more of a Buddhist, which was also a weird combination for a New York street level tough guy. And uh, 
he was really making his way. He was on Last Comic Standing, and he was just really getting his ship going. And uh, we recorded uh, his second album at Acme. I can't tell you the dates right now because that, that part of my memory is not good. But uh, he, we recorded at Acme, and eight days later, he died of a massive heart attack. And it was like a week before I was supposed to see him down in Texas. Wow. You know, so like it, the the... It really felt like you were trying to hold on to sand, you know, like uh, that that end scene out of that whole uh, Infinity War movie was kind of how it felt inside. It was like you just watched his existence vaporize right in front of you. Yeah. And it was a it was a really hard thing to deal with. And I knew that we had this album from eight days prior. I, I hadn't even gotten his notes on any of it yet. So I didn't. We had a rough idea of what he wanted, a rough idea, Yeah, but we didn't have it fleshed out. And then we lose the guy, and then everybody started turning into weird vultures circling the pile, you know, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was just so heartbroken. I had a Hamlet-like, not moment because that's not right, I had a Hamlet-like period of time which was you know like three four years five years where i just couldn't listen to the recordings because it was just so painful to me yeah you know i uh i wasn't his family i wasn't a girlfriend i wasn't a manager or an agent my relationship wasn't as as long as any of those but it was a pretty deep relationship and he he was somebody that trusted me and I, you know, I trusted him back and I just knew we had something. And then to have that all gone and to have these shows that you had to figure out what to do with while everyone's trying to beat up on you, people are trying to steal the rights. I mean, like just a whole bunch of weird gangstery sort of bullshit that happened with it. And it was just a an ordeal because every time one of those things would spring up, you just didn't want to deal with the pain of hearing your friend's voice again yeah well like on top of that too it's like you said you may not have been family or or this or that but you were connecting with him on the thing he loved to do the most right and the thing that he didn't want any of those other people to be involved with yeah so now you're holding on to this legacy this purest form of what he loved to do and what he put his time and effort into and then what i had to bend to all the living people around him's will so yeah. I didn't get to put out the record he wanted to put out. Yeah. You know, because we, we didn't have notes on it. And then my first draft of that release was actually like taking those shows and making a triple album out of it yeah. and trying to address all the directions that he wanted. And like I had it down to where we had artwork and everything. And yeah. that got shot down by people close to him that weren't supposed to be involved in his comedy. You know, but if I if I say that, then I'm a jerk for bringing up how dare I talk about their pain yeah. when they were closer to them? And it's just a really, it was a really hard situation that I don't envy. Yeah, yeah. I know his family, they're, they're great people. But, you know, there were things that he said that they didn't want out there. Yeah. You know, but I know he wanted it out there, otherwise he wouldn't have said it. Yeah, kind of the protect the legacy style thing, but yeah. in reality, the reality that is was you his have legacy. to, you have to, yeah, but you still have to bend the will to the people that are alive. Yeah, and uh, that's not to attack them. I mean, I understand where they are all coming from. Yeah, I just wish that they would have let his art stand the way he wanted his art to stand. Yeah, 
And, you know, there was some repeating elements between those three sets, but every one of those went in a different, I made sure they went in a different direction. So that if you heard, he he had multiple ways to take a lot of his jokes. And uh, I made sure that those paths were true. So if he said something about, about a certain subject and it went one way on show A, on show C when he did it again, I made sure it went the other way. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And no one will get to hear it. You know, it's just on a hard drive in in my possession that uh, no one gets to see the art. No one gets to hear the audio. And it's a, it's a shame. Yeah. And, and that was the other part of why it took so long to get done. Because when I presented something, nobody, nobody saw the vision in it besides me because they weren't part of the artistic vision of it. Yeah. They didn't see all the, all the stuff that you saw with it. Yeah. And there isn't a... You know, I have the most heartbreaking thing is writing a royalty check to somebody's mom or brother or sister instead of them. Yeah. So they don't even know how their record did because they're no longer alive. You know, it's just every time I write that check and it's, you know, four times a year, every time I write that, I just think, God, I miss you, man. Yeah. This isn't fucking fair. That's yeah. yeah, and this is just one of the few. Yeah, the first one, the first one yeah. that passed on the label, and it just it just sucked. How long did you know before you record the album? Uh, well, I'd recorded another album for him a couple years prior. Okay, I think I by the time he died, I I'd known him like three years, maybe four. That sounds right, but I mean, I I'd have to dig through actual documents because what happened was i met him i went to the lakeshore theater and met him and we hadn't recorded lakeshore theater was in chicago and boys town it's where uh the laugh factory is now okay my dear friend chris ritter and his wife jessica owned the lakeshore theater and that was like a home away from home for me and i recorded a lot of stuff there so they wanted me to see mike i came out and saw mike i was in town for something else i don't remember what and we hit it off yeah. Like really well. And then I came back at a different time to record him there. Wow. You know, and then that relation, once we did the record, you know, that relationship was cemented. Yeah. There's the friendship. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. So that that's kind of, the second recording was at Acme. You know, it was, uh, I think, a total of five shows that I managed to spin into three different hours, which I wouldn't have done under normal circumstances under normal circumstances the guy's alive you two figure out what 45 minutes to an hour you want yeah. and the other material gets pushed to another album makes sense you know but this one is but this one was just not it's the last one and the way he was he wouldn't do the same show twice in a row so you were getting all sorts of extra material anyway yeah some of it old some of it new interesting yeah he just kind of did what he wanted to in that moment as he felt the crowd yeah. And on the release that we did, it's an album, the release came out finally uh, under the name Puppies and Heroin. And it's a good record, but you can hear you can hear him riffing on the crowd and tearing into certain parts of them as he goes. Yeah. But there was a lot more of it throughout the three album spread. Wow. Yeah. That is a bummer that that's not going to get released. It's a it's a real drag. I uh I really wish you could see the light of day, but uh convincing people that I am right is not uh it hasn't gone my way in this case 
and it is what it is. I mean, you just have to kind of live with it and move on. Yeah. And I mean, know. in general too, that's just a hard thing to be like, Hey family. So it's been a few years. What are your thoughts on releasing this? It's, I mean, their thoughts would be the same yeah. to them. It was bo- The repetition was boring, you know, because yeah. they're not fans of comedy. Yeah. It's their brother, their son, you know, so they're protecting that they're not protecting oh yeah that's a funny joke even though it's at my expense or her expense or his expense yeah they're protecting their own reputations too sort of a little bit of that and a little bit of like ah mikey he didn't probably mean it like that you know like they're applying their feelings to his art as opposed to letting his art speak for itself yeah and that's a hard one that's that's like that's what every artist's estate has a battle with but I'm, yeah. I'm of the opinion as a fan of this particular art that the more that's out there, the better it is. Yeah. And as a friend of comedy, too, you know, you knew what his vision was, or at least... I close, had an idea of what his vision him. was just from what he performed. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's, it's a shame. I wish that would be out there to see the light of day and get its day in the sun. I think it ultimately would have been a better release. Not that Puppies and Heroin is bad. It's a really solid album. Yeah. But I just think it would have been a much better release as the three individual things for the people who really, and, and the thing about Mike is because he went through recovery and all these crazy trials and tribulations, he has a lot of followers that anything that came out of his mouth in that anonymous scene, you know, like whether it's not NA or AA or any of those Al-Anon, um, they all clung to every word. They wanted every bit of wisdom from them. They wanted the darkness. They wanted the lightness. Yeah. They didn't want just a, a a single dimensional representation of the guy. They wanted every word they could get because yeah. it helped them get through their struggle. Absolutely. And, it, and his attitude helped them get through their struggle. His attitude was, I am no more important than you. Your pain is my pain. It was like that was where the Buddhism really came in and it was really important. Yeah. So if you wanted to honor that, you had to do that. But his family not being Buddhist doesn't understand those concepts because it's not what they were brought up with. And uh, it's just a shame. I, I... I mean, I, I, I wish love and peace to everybody that cared for Mike. I just wish I could have done that one piece of art for him. Yeah. That's, and that's a tough thing, man. Uh, it sounds like he understood that you know, the pain in connection with other people is better when you connect and you can share an experience. I never went anywhere with him in New York or Chicago or Minneapolis where people didn't stop him on the street. Not a famous man. To thank him for what he did for them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because he was that well known in those communities. Wow. We'll, we'll throw links in the descriptions for all the comics here too. So if you want to listen to their stuff, you can find it. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I think it's important that you give it a listen because these these guys and ladies, they were they were wonderful and they had an insight on on things. Not everyone had the same kind of spiritual resonance as Mike, but the things they had to say, they were important, they were funny, you know, a, yeah. a, a good laugh is like priceless and almost all these people, yeah, all these people on my list, they would they would give you that. It's the real connection. I think so. Yeah. Even if it was a silly connection, some of them would be spiritual, some of them would be filthy jokes, you know, but there's there's a connection there. Yeah, and yeah. that's all that really matters. That's what comedy's about. Yeah, I mean, the... 
turns out i always make the analogy that you know as a comic every one of your albums is your sistine chapel when you, well when you die it's even more so wow you know yeah. it's what you're leaving behind for i have no illusions about comedy comedy is not a large part of the recording industry it's not a large part of our entertainment per se yeah. stand-up comedy in particular but uh this is what lasts. The, your albums are what outlive you. Yeah. So it's kind of important what you put into them. Yeah. It's an important thing. Yeah. That's it's weird podcast plug, but that's what this podcast is about. Yeah. You know, helping people find people to connect with. So it sounds like uh, Mike did kind of the same thing in his crowds, is just finding people. He, maybe he might have had the most resonance of anyone yeah. in my list. They just kind of needed him in that moment. Yeah. And then they may not have realized that they needed him, but you know, that's sometimes you're not expecting a piece of information to change your life, but it does. Yeah, exactly. And he was a master at that. Wow. I want to talk more about Mike, but also you've got a really great list. Yeah. Well, a really sad list. Um, the next person, people that died on my list were, uh, going to be a little hard to talk about um my good friend gus lynch who didn't really have an album on my label but was on a couple of releases that were compilations and uh then you can't really mention gus without mentioning bill young either and i'll explain that more in a minute um gus was a hell of a character he uh I don't know if you know mythology or anything like that, but he he was a real-life sort of Bacchus or Dionysus. And I don't mean that in a Greek god uh, Jim Morrison kind of way. I mean that in a very, like, sensuous of the moment, like, lust for life kind of way. Okay. Um, Very much in the moment, living... Very much in the moment living. To me, he was a human representation of fun. Um, He was not above partying in the (laughs) old-fashioned way. And he had an infectious way about him to get you to join him and go on the journey, as it were. And I... (laughs) At the same time, he was like a dad to two kids, a great dad to two kids, and a, and a loving husband. And he also had issues uh, that, I, that I'm not going to get into, but uh, partying w- was, was really fun with him until it got scary <laughs> at times. But uh, you never knew what you were going to get out of Gus. Like, I'd have him booked on a show... And then he wouldn't show up and no one would know why. And then you'd start getting calls from like friends and family members going, what happened to Gus? He kind of disappeared. And then it's like, you find out that Gus Lynch was a stage name and not a real name. And so you can't call to a jail or a hospital looking for a person (laughs) that doesn't exist. And you get pulled over you mouth off to a cop you get arrested on a holiday weekend no one knows how to get a hold of you oh wow yeah 
So like that was the part of the dark side of that fun and partying yeah. was like weird stuff like that could happen. And that was like the mild one, the one I would talk about on air. Um, but at the same time, how do I talk about this without, I don't, there's so many things I don't want to, he was a good guy to share a joint with. <laughs> that's that's how I'll put it. I mean, it's medicinally legal in in Minnesota. Well, yeah, well, we had medicinal problems. Yeah, that's a medicinal thing. And and the solution was that and a whole lot of laughter. Um. So Gus also had a uh, family tie down to Mexico. Some of his family's well-to-do, and they own property down there. And uh, in the town that they, they were in, um, they had a house, and it was a house big enough for them to rent out or for Gus to invite people down to. So one year he invites me to go down, and I went there with my wife and him and his wife and uh, three other people in the comedy scene and their significant others. And we were down there for, I don't know, five, six days. And liquor is cheap in Mexico. <laughs> and you're in the sun and you're on the beach and you have a pool that looks at the beach. And you're all cooking group meals and, you know, riding around a little bit. You're riding around the town in a mix of cars and golf carts. And, uh, you know, you're you're near all these Mayan ruins, and it's it's a really interesting place, and it's not necessarily particularly scary down there because it's such a tourist area. They sort of protect that tourism dollar. Yeah, and uh, he like you see Sam's Club down there, and you go ah, it's, you know, whatever. This is it's America. And then you go into Sam's Club, and you ask someone a question, they just look at you quizzically and go, okay. <laughs> and you realize they don't mean okay they they really asking you what because what? <laughs> they don't necessarily speak english so like there's that little bit of weird disconnect but it's still like kind of like america so anyway we go down there and we have this big you know five six day thing and we're just hanging out and uh i pitched the idea of potentially doing a comedy festival down there to gus and we we came up with a whole plan while we were smoking a joint at the pool <laughs> and uh it, we made it happen we uh we managed the next year i didn't go but we, other comics went and we set up a show and the show went well and it was in front of a couple of people who were really well connected in the town via like chamber of commerce type stuff but not only yeah and they got on board and partnered with us. Wow. Yeah. So then the following year, year, you know, I'll say year one was the, f year zero was the fun trip. Year one wasn't the festival itself. Kind of a test out just to see. Yeah. It. We'll call that Roman numeral one. Right. <laughs> and, and it was just a test to see, can this idea fly? And Gus calls me from Mexico and he goes, I think we just pulled off the crime of the century, dude. They practically carried us out of the club on their shoulders. They want the festival. They want everything. <laughs> so the next year, we take 19 comics down, mainly from Minnesota. I think we had one person from out of the region, our French-Canadian friend, uh, Frank. 
and uh, we go down there and we throw a real festival, and it was a drunken mess that first year because everyone was there going, hey, woo, you know, and the shows were kind of like uh, secondary. Yeah. But it was a good time, and we pulled it off, and we raised some money to build a place. The, the town that we were in, uh, a little town called Akamal that has gotten bigger, there's a beach area, the playa, and then there's the Pueblo, the village. And the Pueblo is separated from the playa by a highway. Because down in Mexico, uh, you have to have money to have a view of the ocean. It's not like here where the hot interstate can run with visible lines to the ocean. Yeah. There you see nothing but trees, unless you have money. Because huh. it's like a mile inland. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So we did all this stuff and we built a playground in the Pueblo for the children that lived there that basically had no place safe to play. Wow, so we thought awesome. we were doing something awesome. And then the next year we find out that a bunch of adults got drunk and trashed it, trashed the gringo playground, you know? Oh, that's shitty. So, yeah, it was super shitty, man. It was a real bummer. And we fixed up some of it, but, you know, who the hell needs the chains off the swings, man? Who needs to... Plus, it's baking in the sun, you know? Yeah. So it's hot. We, we were careful with the materials we picked, but... I don't know. It, well, it didn't seem to be that appreciated. So the second year, because we did well enough the first year, we decided to, there was a Montessori school there that a lot of kids went to because the public school's awful. Yeah. So we built, like they had an outdoor eating area. We built a roof over it and had it tiled. Oh, wow. So that it'd be nice and cool for the kids to eat. And then we decided not to fund something private. So the third and fourth years, we, we, we sent money to the Red Cross in the region. Oh, very cool. Because there's... Akamal itself didn't have a Red Cross station. And the closest one was about 40 minutes away. So we beefed up the two Red Cross locations, north and south, to help. Perfect. And that was like, you know, you're you're going to the, like the Rotary Club for luncheons and talking. And yeah. you're doing all sorts of press. It was a good time. But the festival itself never never recouped the the amount of money that was invested in it. Yeah. Any money we got was donated to the Red Cross, and the money we got was not equal to the money that was spent. So, you know, it was successful because we pulled off the first international comedy festival in Mexico, but it wasn't financially successful. Yeah. And chances are it was never going to be financially successful. Well, in between year three and year four, because they because Gus's family had that property down in Mexico, he was down there over Thanksgiving, and... Uh, he promised his son, who was turning 10 that week, that he would take him to the one pyramid that you can climb, which is about an hour away, a site called Koba. And uh, the Koba pyramid that you can climb is not restored to the level of the Chichen Itza pyramid, you know, yeah. which you're not allowed to climb. Uh, Gus made it to the top with his kids and was kind of mouthy about like, hey, I thought there'd be a smoothie stand up here yeah you know just being an ugly american and uh he was up there complaining and having other people roll their eyes and his kids started climbing down ahead of him and uh we don't know if he was hung over or what have you but he took a misstep and those pyramids are made to give you a very quick descent if you take a misstep or are tossed over the side yeah and he saw that he was going to run into other people and potentially take them down. So he managed to switch directions a little bit, but then fell 40 feet oh. and broke many, many bones. 
punctured a lung. Took a while for an ambulance to get there. He fell off on because it's not a really restored place. Like only one face of it is clear. The other faces are all in the jungle and you can't really get to it easy. Yeah. So they had to climb the pyramid to come down the side that he fell down to get him, to put him on a gurney, to take him back up to the top and bring him back down the front. So that took a while. And they took him to the closest Red Cross station. They couldn't do anything for him there. So they took him to the next closest one, couldn't do anything for him there. Took him to a third location where they were finally able to start addressing problems. And uh, this was on November 30th of uh, 2014. Let me think about this. That sounds right, 2012, yeah, it sounds right. And uh, let's see, it's 2019 now. Yeah, yeah, that's right, 2014. And uh, the hospitals there, you know, they don't have compression socks to try and help you with blood clots and stuff like that. Yeah. And around four in the morning, blood clot broke free and his heart stopped. Oh. You know, and it took a while. For to get all the paperwork right to bring him back for a funeral, and yeah. it was it was a fucking nightmare, you know. Yeah. Um, he was one of my best friends, and it was just a very hard thing to deal with, you know. When the news came about, there were a small crew of us that were making phone calls to a bunch of people, and I called my friends down in Mexico that helped us put on the festival. The people I told you about the yeah that were our partners in. They practically wrecked their car when I gave them the news, you know. Wow. They were they were in Mexico, not far from him, and didn't know that he had passed. Oh. So it was a fucking lot of heartbreak. To have to be the angel of death and spread the word was uh, pretty goddamn cruel. It didn't allow us to deal with our own grief, really. Yeah. You know, and then by the time they got his body back and had a memorial service for him another one of our dear friends local comedian bill young did not come to the funeral and everyone thought it was sort of weird and the next morning as i was boarding a flight to go record an album in detroit i got word that he had passed away oh i get i you know i've I've known of gus and bill but i didn't realize it was that close oh it was that close it uh took every last ounce of any kind of anything out of me. I I stumbled through that weekend in Detroit pretty hard. I'm glad I had a recording engineer with me. And there was another comic on the label that was, uh, that was in Detroit on the road and just stuck around for a couple extra days to help out. Yeah. Uh, Alicia Wood, and she's uh, she was an angel. You know, she got like tickets to a Red Wings game for us and Just something uh, to preoccupy preoccupy and then she drove and she, we got to this arena and then we sit down she's sitting like next to me and she says i don't understand hockey you're gonna have to explain it so like she kept me yeah thinking and not just in a vegetative state yeah but it was if i hadn't had those two people with me it would have been a very hard week to record an album absolutely it was very tough to keep a a smile faked up onto your face yeah. You know, it was a constant just you got to come home and have another funeral. And it was rough. It was very, very rough. Both those guys 
they didn't get recognized for how funny they were. They didn't ever get full albums, you know. Yeah. Uh, Gus has a bit of emceeing on the 499 show CD that I did that Bill headlines. So Bill only has a half hour on there. Yeah. And it's not as well recorded as other stuff because it was during a rock and comedy show that w- Gus and I used to put on. Oh, wow. So it w- the focus wasn't as fully there as I would have liked and Bill never got a full album. Gus never got a full album, even though he was the director of live events for my label. Yeah. And, you know, one of my best, best friends. So it, uh, how do I put this? I guess it was sobering. Yeah. You know, I talked about how much, I don't, I don't drink now. Now that the human representation of fun in my life is gone. I don't really drink that much. It takes a lot. Yeah. An occasional trip to a tiki bar somewhere out of Minnesota. And uh, with Bill, I mean, Bill was just the kindest. He was super funny and the kindest human being you've met. Like people say, you know, oh, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Bill would literally do that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I just never knew anyone kinder, needlessly kind as Bill. And, you know, his story gets buried a little bit in the drama of Gus's passing. And it's a shame because both these guys, they deserved so much more than what life really gave them. And, you know, I wish I could change a moment of it. Yeah. To make it be more like snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat than the other way around. You know? Yeah. It's just a goddamn shame. And I, uh, that one affects me pretty deeply because I was pretty close to both those dudes. And uh, I just couldn't do enough. Yeah. I mean, you know? when, when I started in the scene like four years ago, something like that, they're both very highly regarded even now. Yeah. Four years later, since like five in June or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's still, I still hear stories about them. Yeah. They were good dudes, man. I, uh, it sucks to not have them around. And of course, you know, like Bill wasn't, Bill had been divorced by then. So he didn't have really, he had a, he had a ex stepchild, I guess. Yeah. Someone who he was greatly concerned for, but he didn't have, he didn't have that thing that Gus had, which was, you know, two children who, I mean, the the oldest one was 10 when he died. Oh, wow. You know, so. It's just a fucking nightmare in that regard. I hope I can swear on this podcast. Oh, all day. Um, you know, those kids aren't, they're growing up without their dad. I mean, it's, it's a, it sucks. Yeah, especially with, from what it sounds like, such a person that would be very influential in their lives. Dude, when he used to watch his son Jones play football, he would wear mirror shades, like cop shades, because he was so filled with pride <laughs> That when he watched his son play, he didn't want his son to see the tears in his eyes. Oh, man. The, the, you know, the tears yeah. of pride. Just the like, joy. It meant the world to him. And, and, you know, his daughter's into theater and acts now. He was a theater guy before he was comedy. He was, yeah. he, he, he's on this commercial, I think, for like Snickers or Twix that like I didn't know he was on. And when I saw it, I'm like, I've seen that commercial a million times. <laughs> it's uh, just weird. It's just weird that he's gone and not not having that energy around my existence yeah. is is also weird. And that, that energy to have fun and to not take life so seriously and yeah. 
you know, that, that part of it's really kind of missing for me. I don't really enjoy things to the level that I did when he was around. seems like some of my flavor receptors are dead. That's yeah. kind of how it seems. And it's kind of a spot, too, where as far as, like, the healing process goes, that's a person you don't want to, like, let go of. I, I don't like kind of, letting go anyway. Yeah. That's always been a weak spot. I don't like goodbyes. I don't like letting go. And so far with these three guys, it was all sudden and unexpected deaths, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, they came from out of nowhere, and then they were just gone. You know, like a meteor streaks across the sky and disappears. And sometimes that's what a life is supposed to be. Sometimes it's supposed to be short and super flash and catch your eyes and make you go, God damn, what was that? You know, people aren't yeah. necessarily, not everyone's meant to last 99 years and yeah, I, have that. So like those yeah. three in particular, just. Just, you know, even to talk uh, real quick, like I said, we both lost friends this last week. Um, the friend of mine was extremely influential for me to performing because she's the first person to give my dumb little band a, an avenue. Right. So we would play stupid covers. Right. We'd play Muppet songs. Like we would play whatever. And right. she was always happy to have us and just was, it made me realize that performance can be whatever you put energy in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I mean, I'm not even talking about, you know, because of the nature of the podcast, I'm not talking about all the deaths that hit me. I'm just talking yeah. about the ones with people I've worked with, you know? Yeah. And this, this is what it was with her. She was the manager of the bar. And like, this Got was it. like the first person that I had felt, you know, the, maybe my talent was, a, I had a little bit more talent than I had thought I had. Right. And this kind of first person to kind of get me into the, the push of being more than I felt I was. Right. And to like get better and work harder. I understand that. So she was a, a very influential driving force into just being a performer. Yeah. And working harder. And I get Enjoying that. it and loving it. And, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, my dad played that role and I lost him, you know, in my 20s. Yeah. Half my life ago. And uh, so I get that. But I, I mean, I wasn't including him in this list. Yeah. You know. Oh, God, this is not fun. No. Um, I'm going to move on from my local friends. Who I, even though I'm moving on, it's not like I've stopped thinking about them. I'm not going to. Yeah, and we'll we'll throw some links in the, the uh, press stuff before this. Uh, is, is it Gus or Bill that has a brick at the Viking Stadium? Gus. Gus. Yeah, so. Gus played football, not for the Vikings, but they he was he was a... Because his family is well off, you know, they, they've they been season ticket holders of nosebleed seats forever. Yeah. And uh, so they decided to honor him with a brick, but then they decided to honor the fact that he was a football player before anything else. Wow. I mean, the reason he stopped being a football player was he had this critical illness that I, I, I can't even describe properly, so I'm not going to try. But, like, they basically had to remove his sternum and put in a fake one. Whoa. Yeah. So he had to quit playing football. So the the fact that he, he, everything he threw into his identity as a football player, you know, knowing all the moves and all the strategies and all that, all of that sort of migrated into theater form. So if you know anyone from the theater scene that knew him and you talk to them about him, they won't talk about his football playing, but they'll talk about how he tore apart a scene 
and a situation to get to the truth of it. And it was the same stuff he was doing with a playbook as he would with a play script. That's really interesting. And he, and because he had that experience on theater, he understood chops. And it's because of that stuff that he could apply it to his stand-up comedy. And that helped him progress further along because he was a little bit older. Yeah. You know, he didn't start being a stand-up until he was already married and had kids. Wow. So he already had a life of experience, plus all the, you know, the ways that he analyzed and would tear apart. He, like... One of the main roles he served in this scene was he helped uh, squelch conflicts. That was one of them. But he gave everyone advice on how they could improve. Mm-hmm. And it was not just like, a, hey, use this line instead. He'd be like, yeah. this is what you need to think about. And he would give like yeah. strategies about how to Angles. roll with the punches on stage. Yeah, like an angle. Yeah. Yeah, so he's the comedy dad. Yeah. yeah. So like that, that was the brilliance of him, you know. But uh, Bill, I'm sorry that... Uh, I don't have as many anecdotes for you. I uh, I do, but I just I don't want to share them here. Yeah. Uh, not all of them are appropriate. And same with <laughs> Gus. Uh, you know, we used to do this thing together. Bill came to the first festival in Mexico, but we used to do this thing. There, there there's this nerd party to call it a comic book convention or a sci-fi convention isn't for, fair. Yeah. But there's this nerd party that happens in town called Convergence, and it happens. Yeah. It, it used to happen a mile from here over at, at the that, Double Tree. Right? The Double Tree. Well, Bill and Gus and Bill's ex Jenna. They were really essential because they had the, Bill had the connections as did Jenna to everyone in the community. Yeah. And Gus really had the wherewithal to want to pull it together and do a show. So like without the three of them, it couldn't happen. And then to lose two of them within 10 days of each other. Wow. It just sort of, we've never been involved in convergence since. It just changed it. Yeah, there was no point. Like, I didn't want to do all that work without having them around. Yeah. And some of the craziest, funnest times were at convergence. Really? Um, But I'm sorry, Bill. I'm sorry I I just didn't have as many foreign trips with you and (laughs) as many experiences. But I miss the the ever-loving stuffing out of you. And I hope you can hear that wherever you may be. Um, the next person who passed away is a really hard one as well. Uh, I suppose now is the time that we should mention that I have also died. And uh, I don't want to go into too much on it. Everyone's heard the story probably by now. If not, listen to the episode of WTF with Mark Marin that I was on. Um, I got better, as Monty Python would say. <laughs> um, I managed to hold on long enough for the medical staff at the hospital to open a hole in the proverbial ice big enough for me to get through. Wow. And... uh it was a couple of days after I had died and been uh, re- resuscitated that I found out that uh, my friend Andy Ritchie uh, had succumbed to a brain tumor that he'd been suffering from for well over a year at this point. And uh, you have not had survivor's guilt 
until you've died the same week that one of your friends did and that somehow you're still walking the earth and breathing and they're not and uh that will make you feel super shitty for many years afterwards um andy was a canadian born guy i don't know where he moved to first in america but i know he was a stand-up comedian starting here in minneapolis i believe that's where i know him from was here in minneapolis uh from minneapolis he moved down to austin texas because austin's a great place at least it was then and uh he was really impactful in the comedy scene down there well regarded and then he and his significant other ruby uh moved to Los Angeles where they were, you know, slowly starting to try and make waves as you do. Mm -hmm. And he just came down ill and found out it was a brain tumor and things descended from there. And I didn't get to talk to him much from that point on. So it's not like we were in regular contact. I can't even tell you what our last conversation was, honestly. But uh, he put a, 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 he was a silly comic. His album's called King Dingling. <laughs> and it's a very funny record. Very surreal, very things out of left field. Uh, really, really funny stuff. And, you know, I had friends that were obviously friends with him that would visit him in the hospital and then give me little bits of pieces here and there. But I kind of, in my own medical crisis, as I was descending into it, kind of just dropped all threads to the outside world. I kind of limited all my contact down to a couple of people. Yeah. And uh, I just wasn't paying attention to the outside world. But I know that when I was uh, brought back to life, I do know that in the brief time that I had my computer working before I accidentally password protected it in a opioid haze that I had gotten the word that Andy had passed and it just was was the worst goddamn thing. Yeah. Hadn't gotten to talk to him. Why him? Why not me? It just... I don't, our album had been done for a long time at that point. He's the first person on this list that had the full record done first. So at least we had that, you know, there was no weird offset of energy that, you know, something was undone. Yeah. So the survivor guilt was worse, but the sense of I'd wrapped up what I could with him was not left open. Yeah. So there was a little bit of closure there and made it a little bit easier to deal with other than the timing issue, which God works in mysterious ways. What What's the fucking mystery there? What's what, To what purpose is brain cancer? What I don't get it. I don't know what else to say about that. I know that uh, after he passed, the Moon Tower Comedy Festival honored him and I helped in that honor by making sure that CDs were in people's gift bags and that there was a download available through the festival. Wow. Cap City Comedy. I, 
Andy did really well at the uh, funniest person in Austin contest, but I can't, they don't have a table up on Wikipedia of who won what year. So I can't tell you if indeed he won or if he was just a runner up or what year he won because I don't have that information. Yeah. I mean, but I know he was well regarded and that he hadn't taken off in LA just yet. And it just sucks to have a good, funny voice of a decent human being just snuffed for no fucking reason. So yeah. thanks for that, powers that be. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say. I, honestly, I'm just trying to recap, and I, I don't know where yeah. else to go with any. So think of questions if you got any. Yeah, you know? I mean, uh, so with Andy, how did you meet him? Just kind of through the Th- loops Through here the local stand-up scene. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, You know, we met, and there was some weirdness there, and he tried to record his own album, and it just didn't work out. Yeah. So then he came to me and asked if I would still be interested in working with him. And I always thought he was funny. And back then there was a lot more unity in the scene. Yeah. You know, so it was easy to bridge weird things like that. It's gotten much harder as as the scene has grown and fractured and Gus isn't around to squash beefs. And it's just gotten more difficult. Yeah, it's new different voices come in and you have to figure out how those people interact with other different established voices and yeah it's hard it's just hard and it the scene specifically it's a lot of voices that deserve to be heard and a lot of people that deserve to be heard like i said but but it's been like that the whole time i've been involved you know i mean i I first met andy i want to say like 2003 or four maybe yeah maybe 2002, not long after I started. And uh, we just stayed friends. You know, there there was a little bit of weirdness in there, but we stayed friends. It was just kind of a friendship that evolved and yeah. recorded an album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you met him in 03, and do you know, like, right around when he passed? He when died we- the same week I did, which was the week of uh, November, let's see, the... 23rd was when I died in 2015. Okay. So in 12 years, it's, that's a, a long, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the craziest thing you remember about him? Like, just like an experience, maybe he was on stage and you just saw him rip into a new level where you just didn't expect it to come out. Well, his comedy was all like that anyway. It was like, uh, it had a surrealist bent. So like to me, it was just hearing him deliver his jokes. Okay. Like how many how many people write jokes about falconry? How many, you know, <laughs> like that's. Uh, probably not very many. Not many. And to make it funny on top of that, you know, he. I can't repeat any of his jokes without doing the massive injustice. You know, I yeah. can't because I'm not I'm not him. I'm not witty. I'm not. I work with comedians. I'm not a funny guy necessarily myself. Yeah. So I don't want to do his stuff injustice, but like to see him on stage come up with an idea and then just let's see, you just see the wildness, wildness in his eyes as he's about to spring it. Like, let's see if these people are going to come with me. Yeah. Let's see what you think of this. So for him, it was just a constant test. Yeah. Just to see, all right, I'm going to throw this at you and see what happens. I'm going to throw this at you and see what happens. Yeah. So it was all part of a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, for him in particular. You know, to him it was a game. Yeah. So 
let's see, in 12 years, he lived in a bunch of different cities. Um, was he one of the ones that went down for the um, the Festival of Mexico? No, no, he never made it down to Mexico. Okay. I mean, we never really got too much more than 19 comics on any given year, and there were a lot of repeat repeat people coming down. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeff Foser was down all four years. Gus was down three of those years. He wasn't there for the last one. Yeah. last one was done as a memorial to him. Bill was only there for one year. Uh Corey Chad Adam. Daniels was there for four years of it. I think Corey was there for two, maybe three years of it. Yeah. You know, so like different people had different on and off. Yeah. Yeah. And Andy just uh, was by then just kind of out and about in different areas in the country. Yeah. And, you know, we weren't. Mexico was weird. Everyone had to pay their own way to fly in. And then we took care of transport and housing. Yeah. So, yeah, you had a significant financial hurdle to overcome. Yeah. Because you had to, the cheapest I ever saw a round trip flight out of LA for was like 230 bucks. It was yeah. the cheapest, but sometimes it was significantly more than that. Wow. Yeah. You know? And yeah. most of the time it was significantly more than that. So like people had to put that money up and not everybody wanted to do that for a festival that didn't pay without industry people to impress. Yeah. You know? I mean, one could argue that you are industry of... Yeah, but most of the people that were going already knew me. I mean, I wasn't. <laughs> That's true. I wasn't about to ruin my festival with industry people. That's true. I just wasn't going to. I understand where you're a young comic, you want to be seen by the industry. Mm-hmm. Last thing I want to do is be around the industry at a festival. Yeah. Period. I just have no desire to be around. Industry talk isn't fun. It's not comedy itself. It's like a fucking weird sales meeting, and I just. The further away from that shit I am, the happier I am. Yeah. And and Mexico was more about being a summer camp and happiness than it was about, what can I do to advance my career, dude? Yeah, that sounds like a really fun festival to go to, honestly. It was. It was, it was fucking wonderful, but uh, it wasn't as wonderful once one of the partners died. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, so I think that's all I really have. Oh, about these guys so yeah. far. Well, I still have so a couple more to go through, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, with Gus and uh, Gus and Bill, um, they were. What was the sketch group they were in with, like Matic and Gabe Noah? Turkeys. Yeah, can't remember what that's called. But, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, turkeys. Look it up. Some of the stuff's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. So okay, well let's let's move forward. Let's uh, let's get to the next. Uh. The next person that I miss a lot is my dear friend, LaShonda Lester. Uh, I only had LaShonda for a few years in my life, but uh, she she was a, a comic who moved to Austin, Texas from the mean streets of Detroit. And she had an interesting life. Um. Some of it I, I found out the longer I knew her. And some of it I found out through her jokes. But like in, in, in Detroit, she managed a candy store at a mall that had a rat problem. And then from there, she went on to being like a pro wrestler, a wrestling manager first, then a pro wrestler. And then she got, a, she got in the ring and was like, oh, these hits are for real. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she, she, a lot of, a lot of hustling of stuff. And then eventually she became a madam. This is all in Detroit. Wow. Yeah. 
and a lot of it will be addressed on her album, which is coming out in a month called Shandy Superstar. Now, from there, she moved to Texas, where she started to do stand-up comedy. She got married uh, and then had a kid, Alex, Mr. Alex, her sweetheart, and uh, did stand-up comedy to the point that she uh, won the Funniest Person in Austin, Texas contest in 2016. And she was the rightly held queen of Austin comedy. And uh, fucking funny. Like ridiculously funny. And part of it was informed by, a good part of it was informed by her actual experiences. Yeah, I mean those life experiences alone are. They're unreal. And to hear the stories are, they're fucking crazy. They're so different. Crazy, crazy. And, uh. It really gave a different a different character and a different flavor to what I normally deal with in stand-up. Um, she was the only black lady I've met who could wear a, a purple wig and a, a, a cut-up Guns N' Roses t-shirt and be genuine about all of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. She was the shit. I uh, Getting together with her for a meal and talking shit about comedy as an industry and the people involved <laughs> were some of the most enjoyable times I've had. Yeah. I even told her once that I had a dream about it where like she was working some, like she owned a store in a shitty strip mall selling this thing that she had invented that had revolutionized the industry that she was selling it in but still out of a shitty little strip mall store. <laughs> so I go to visit her and like we basically spent the whole time getting high and making fun of everyone who walked into the store. Oh, that's and I so told fun. her that dream and she goes, that sounds like heaven. I go, it felt like it. Oh, that's so fun though. Yeah. Sometimes but, you need that release. Man, she was the greatest for that. And uh, what happened with her was... Uh, she found out, you know, maybe a year or two prior that she was suffering from uh, uh, kidney failure. So it was, you know, I think related related to diabetes. The way she put it, it was, no one told me not to fuck with salt. Oh. But uh, she had, you know, dialysis and she was on it for a long time and her body was wearing out. And she'd had a couple of... Uh, sort of attacks one of them kind of took her out for a little bit you know and she was nervous and not doing comedy and then everybody talked her back into it and then that's when she made her win at the uh, funniest person in austin and then uh we recorded in january of 2017 and uh you know she was climbing back up and then i saw her again in march of 2017 at south by southwest and we hung out for a bit at one of the shows that she did and just our usual stuff. And she said, you know, she was a little nervous about her health, but she was in good spirits. She was supposed to be taping a Comedy Central Presents in April of wow. 2017. And then uh, two weeks before that, she posted on Facebook that she couldn't breathe and that uh, she was going to call an ambulance. And that was her last post. She died that night. And... Uh, didn't get to really make a full mark on the world. Yeah. You know, like she was supposed to tape that comedy central presents. We were supposed to have the album done. 
shortly thereafter. We're going to wait till it aired and then have it out. Yeah. And uh, when she went away, it kind of got put on hold. And then my project of trying to get it across the goal line became a lot harder. This time, not because of family. Uh, This time, family was just dead on. What do you need to get this done? How do we help you get it done? Yeah. Like, it was nothing but full-on motion to push it to the end. Full support. Yeah. Full support and full-on, you know, their weight behind me. As opposed to not quite. Yeah. And uh, because of that, we were able to power through some stuff, but we were not able to power through clearing rights with photographers in a timely manner. Um. Turns out that even as Austin has become a more corporate, more traffic-heavy place, there are still some people that want to keep Austin weird in that sort of Richard Linklater slacker sort of way. Mm -hmm. And they just weren't replying for clearing rights to photos that we needed. We didn't have time for a photo shoot for the album because she died. Yeah. So I had to rely on existing photo shoots to pull material from. And one of those photo shoots, we, we paid the photographer, but then I had an illustrator make a painting so you could modify things a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, like that one was the first one to clear, but then the ones that we need for the physical copies that we're planning on having, they just weren't, they were not responding. Yeah. And I had to pull like third and fourth parties into it to apply pressure. And then I finally got the rights cleared, but not in time to release it for Moon Tower last year like I wanted to. Yeah. So now I'm going through the effort of trying to get a release party at Moon Tower for this year because it's scheduled to come out during that festival. Yeah. And now they're being a little weird about helping out with the release party, which is a bummer, you know, it's, but it's also been two years and yeah. it's tough to maintain interest in somebody that passed two years ago i guess i don't know what the political motives are i uh i know i'm furious about them and i'm trying to temper that so that i don't shoot any opportunity in the foot but uh it's been hard it's been hard to try and get that last little piece to fall in place for i want her family deserves to have that moment, you know? She yeah. deserves to have that moment. You want to do it right. I want to do it right. And uh, just getting everybody to see that's been tough. I mean, that's like my least favorite thing about any of this sort of posthumous release stuff is the people you thought you could count on don't always want to be counted on. Yeah. So I'm trying to be nice and apply pressure in friendly ways, but it's infuriating. It's infuriating that I have to do all that. Meanwhile, I know that Sirius is going to be like doing a sneak preview of the whole album in March. Yeah. You know? So I know that it's going to get airplay there, and I'm going to push on some other fronts too. So I just wish that the festival could see that and see that they're just sort of hindering the splash that we're trying to make for LaShonda. Honestly, I don't really give a shit about the sales. So much as I do about the respect. Yeah. I mean, if this album doesn't sell any copies, it'd be a shame because nobody's hearing her. But if it's all streaming and nobody buys a copy and people get to hear, fine. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if I don't make a dime on this. That's yeah. not what it's about. It's about respecting. Yeah, LaShonda deserved it, you know. 
So step back and let the woman have her moment that she didn't get to have. Yeah. And and that's what pisses me off on that front because you know, when I was talking to her husband about some of this stuff in one of the early calls, he's like, Oh, you must be one of her boyfriends. I'm like, Oh, no disrespect. I loved your wife, <laughs> but I was never trying to be your boyfriend. I I'm perfectly happy. And you know, he was just razzing me. Yeah. Busting but, your chops a little bit. Yeah. But that's everybody loved her. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to see the best that I can do for her. Good. And what I, if I can provide some money to her husband and Mr. Alex, great. Yeah. You know? Even if it's just a little something. You know, e- even if it's just a little helps. something. I'd rather that than nothing. And I'd rather that people get to hear her. That's the main thing. Yeah. You know? So, like, anyway, I have to stop there because I don't want to jeopardize all this effort that I've been trying to put into. For sure getting her recognized yeah and it comes out when's the date on that one uh it is april 26th perfect i believe the friday of that week in two months you'll get to hear it yep a a a little over a little under two months yeah you'll get to hear it'll be fucking awesome yeah and it'll it'll debut on sirius xm i think on march 21st so uh if you want to know more about that as it rolls forward uh, our Twitter is at Stand Up Records, and I'm sure we'll be sending out a note about it, at least one, uh, in the in the near future. So, at Stand Up Records over on Twitter for that. Perfect. And uh, I'm gonna leave that subject and move on to the most recent passing of anyone on the label, and that is of uh, our little our little buddy Sean Rouse, who. Uh, I can't say enough about. He's another guy who was one of those representations of fun, but he was the scary representation of fun. You put too many drinks into Sean Rouse, Sean Rouse starts growling. And if Sean Rouse starts growling, Sean Rouse is going to start biting. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember walking down the street in Appleton, Wisconsin, with Sean Rouse in between andy andrist and myself and sean starts growling starts going and andy over on sean's right side and he quickly went from sean's right side to my left side i was standing on the left of sean oh no (laughs) so he quickly got the hell away from sean when sean started growling he's like i ain't dealing with that shit (laughs) that's so he literally would bite yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) he would bite he would piss your couch uh, and then he would chide you for hosting him because you knew he was going to. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Sean was a filthy comic and so wickedly funny that uh, he could paint the most disgustingly hilarious picture with words and just have you rolling over stuff that you should not be laughing at. There's, there's a karma problem for writing this joke, let alone laughing at it. Oh, that's so funny. And uh, the poor guy suffered from rheumatoid arthritis to such a point that, like, his hands had all drifted towards his pinky. Oh, damn. And uh, his elbows and knees were swollen beyond belief. And this guy lived in such tremendous physical pain 
that is only real choice when you're poor and in pain is not government or insurance, but it's self-medication because you can't afford the shit that really would help you. Yeah. Or you have to prove that you're suffering beyond the physical. The, 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 the hoops he had to jump through were unjust and unfair. So when I see all these idiots arguing about how pre-existing condition this or can't afford anything that, I just think of Sean and how much he suffered as a human and how it was just the worst fate. Yeah. And that, that, that had they done more to help him, he wouldn't have had to turn to self-medicating. Yeah. You know, because self-medicating can go wrong a number of ways. Some of those things you self-medicate with, they're addictive and they seem fun. And uh, they lead to nowhere good. And then you're on a loop of dealing with that and dealing with pain and dealing with that and dealing with pain. And dealing with the pain and what they caused. And- yeah. And uh, I might be summing it up a little too generally, but that's how I saw it in the times I saw Sean. And I mean, I recorded two albums with him. I guess the the first version it's one album that has two versions, I should say. We, he was going to Edinburgh, and he needed something quick to sell his merchandise in Edinburgh. So we just did a one-night pull of the recording sessions and had called the album Something to Sell in Edinburgh. <laughs> we did 200 <laughs> copies, and then we did a real version of it called Spilt Milk. Um, and then he was on the unbookable CD with... Uh, Stan Hope and Lynn Shawcroft and Arthur Hinty. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, I'll be damned if that dude wasn't one of the funniest, most devious assholes on stage. I mean, he has this whole bit about the big tsunami that happened. Not the Japanese one, but the one that hit before that along... uh, Like Indonesia or something? Indonesia and Thailand and all that stuff. And it is... The most vicious and hilarious thing you've heard. Um, he had comedy routine about Bobby Knight. I mean, like not fun, light topics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really swinging at the dark side. V- very. He was like the Prince of Darkness, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the poor guy, you know, his, uh, his heart gave out this year and it I can't say it was unexpected. Doesn't make it any more enjoyable. You know, it makes it just as... I'm glad he's not in pain, man. That's like the main thing. I'm glad that dude is not suffering and in pain and doing God knows what to help avoid that pain. But, boy, it'd be nice to have him around and able-bodied and not, you know... Not dealing with those demons. Growling and biting. Growling and biting, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> I didn't get bit. I mean, we left him alone for 20 seconds on that same trip. We were in a bar and we just left him unattended for 20 seconds. And by the time we found him, he was already in the back of a cop car because he had pissed on a transformer in public. What? Yeah. So I managed to, and we were... We were sheets to the wind, all of us at that point. And I managed to get outside and walk up to the cop car and start talking to the policeman. And I got him out of the car. Uh, He was in handcuffs, too. I got him out of the handcuffs and out of the car. 
but I did not get him out of the ticket because I couldn't. But that option was way better than having him yeah. be hauled off. In jail. In jail. And all that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a... <sighs> you know, that was the price of admission for dealing with some of that stuff off stage. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to his mom for having to hear this story. <laughs> but... uh it's what we lived through, and uh, he's missed. But as I've gotten along on some of this stuff, it's gotten harder to get the tears out of me, you know? Yeah. I, uh, with Gus, that one affected me. It affected me all the way up until I went to the hospital. I went into that hospital with negative energy, and that negative energy fucking bit me in the ass. And, you know, that was, but I survived and he didn't. And that bit me in the ass too many times. I mean, I still have plenty of tears over Gus and Bill. Uh, the other folks, it's not that I don't feel bad. It's just that I, I just, I don't know that I'll feel like that again. Yeah. Well, these are guys you saw more often. You yeah. Know, you could, grumpies specifically. Every week. You could go there on a Wednesday and see them every single Wednesday and yep. whatever shenanigans they were going to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time we were worried about them open mic going away and I chi- I was chiding people that weren't showing up and Gus just pulls me aside. He goes, you know, you can't save this place on an order of cheesy tots every week, right? <laughs> He's right. He was right. The wisdom and humor of these fine friends of mine whose voices have been snuffed it's a goddamn shame that they're not around to be heard now but i'm glad that i got to preserve little tiny bits of at least some of well all of them actually but uh longer bits for some than others i'm glad i got to preserve those for other people to get to hear them yeah it's still something to listen back to yeah and the more like specifically like bill and gus the more I'd hear about them, the more I'd start to kind of look like, okay, how do I find stuff on Bill and Gus? Because yeah, right. I started after they were gone, so I, you only hear like an amplified version of the person. Right. So, yeah, and it's a good thing to have just to look back on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I miss, you know, there's a Jim Carroll song called People Who Died. Jim Carroll yeah, wrote, wrote it's the like back. five or six minutes long. These yeah. are people that died, died. Yeah. That's they're all my friends, and they died. Yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of where it is. Yeah. Now, now we just go through life, and I just carry them in my head instead of on my sleeve the way I did. Yeah, try to honor them the best way you can, and some you can honor better than others. But yeah, yeah, you you do what you can. Um, I think is there a couple more on the list? Uh, the only other person that was on the list was uh, was a question mark anyway. It was Mitch Hedberg, who I was not necessarily longtime tight friends with. You know, we recorded his album Mitch all together. My old production partner John Mocknick and I, and uh, we were trying to talk him into doing vinyl. Oh, that'd have been awesome. I mean, it eventually came out not through me. Yeah, but. Uh, I'd shown him the David Cross vinyl that I had done at that point, and he seemed real into it. And I just, you know, again, I didn't know him that well. I knew him well enough to record him. Yeah. And uh, I just remember how nice he was and how 
incongruous it felt to all the stories you heard as he was about to pass away and then pass away. Yeah. Yeah, because that was sudden too. It was sudden, but it was... Uh, I should say sudden for people that weren't in the comedy scene. Well, it was sudden for everybody that didn't know what his offstage proclivities were. There were plenty of people in the comedy scene that did, but I can guarantee you not everybody did. Yeah. I certainly didn't. I yeah. just knew a nice, quiet guy who was shy, a bit bashful, loved his parents. Yeah. That's really what I... The guy I dealt with was just that quiet, like, nice dude. Yeah. That's... And it was just a, you know... I, I saw him once or twice before I recorded him. I recorded him for a weekend... Then I saw him once on a tour with Dave Attell and Lewis Black, and he was so trashed that uh, it affected his performance. You know, it was just yeah. sad. And then he was gone. Yeah, that's drugs will do that. Yeah, with that anxiety too, just having to deal with that, and not knowing how to treat it, and then finding something that takes it away—that's a powerful thing. It is. It's a very scary trapped to fall in i agree and i also feel less less of an expert to talk about him in that regard because i didn't know him so well but yeah. we're tied together through a recording credit you know yeah so bully for mitch for being a brilliant comic but god damn it for drugs for taking him away from us so goddamn early yeah that dude had more to say Oh, and in his the only way he could do it, what's the one joke? Uh, I used to do drugs. I still do. I, I still do, but I used to too. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a it's a it's a fucking shame, man. I don't know. I uh, if you'd have caught me about this closer to when Gus and Bill died, you'd have a much more histrionic show, a lot more tear filled, a lot more snot nosed. You know, in the four years since they've died, I've become a lot more philosophical about it, especially because I had my own uh, brush with that stuff. Okay. I mean, I'm not looking to make you cry. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. But I'm I'm just like, I'm not too afraid of dying anymore. I just don't. Yeah. Well, you've already done it. Yeah. Well, it yeah. sucked. It was terrifying, but it wasn't my time. And maybe that's why that was terrifying. Um. Yeah, I, I don't I don't give a shit, you know, mm. when it comes, it comes. Yeah. But like it happens to everyone. Yeah. Happens to everything. Anything that's living, grass dies. Yeah. Fucking trees die, you know, like animals, fish. Yeah. There's no way around it. Nope. This is all a one way march and what do you do what do you do while you're here? And that's more what I'm focused on. Yeah. You know, what am I gonna do while I'm here? Well, you've done some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and I'm going to leave a bunch of really weird shit behind afterwards. Hell yeah. So. Can't really do better than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nor do I intend to. All right. Well, I suppose we can wrap it up. All right. Um, now, this is the promo part of the show. Um, you've got a couple of releases coming out. I do. I have a release for Ryan County, a former Lincoln, Nebraska guy, lived in Austin and is now in L.A. His album's called, oddly enough, I Can't Die. So that Perfect comes well. out the weekend of March 16th. And then uh, LaShonda Lester's posthumous release, Shondi Superstar, is uh, coming out the weekend of April 26th. Awesome. And then uh, 
your website's just standuprecords.com? Website is standuprecords.com. The Wikipedia, you should be able to look up standup records. Uh, the Twitter and Instagram are at standuprecords. And just look up Stand Up Records on Facebook. You'll find us there, too. Yeah, and then um, if you want to hear more about the people we've talked about, I'll, uh, I'll find some links that we have. I'll post them up there so you can look into and find uh, some really cool content from some people that are really missed. Absolutely, and you will laugh your ass off. I'm Honestly, this is one of the more exciting ones in a little while. No offense to everyone else on the show. I love you guys, but uh, death is is a, a thing I like to talk about because it happens to everyone and I think more people are afraid of it than you should be. I mean, you only have so much time, so do what you can in that time. And if yeah. you don't get anything done, it doesn't matter, you're dead. Exactly. End of the show. Um, you can find me uh, at Matt Failed. You can follow my shows on AndyMattField.com. I'm going to try to be better with Instagram. I, I don't know. I don't get it. Some, if someone wants to help me with it, just you know, hit me up. Let me know what I need to do more of, what I need to do less of. I'm open for interpretation. It's, it's pictures of food and pets, man. Oh, shit. That's all it is? Yeah, basically. Fuck. You guys are going to love the Amy's pizza I ate last night. It's Ugh. great. $9, margarita. That's all you got. <laughs> uh, you can find me, uh, as always, here. Um, going to hopefully be ramping up, getting some more some more uh, recordings going as my comedy starts to slow down a little bit. The last month has been pretty insane. Uh, the next month's going to be a little bit busier, but uh, should hopefully start slowing down here. Well, not hopefully. I hope I never slow <laughs> I down. Hope, I hope I slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Having shows is a good thing, so if less of these come out but more uh, but are more important, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, I guess. I don't know. I'm following my dreams. I love doing what I do. Um, Thanks for listening. And uh, Danny, any any final words? <laughs> um, <laughs> don't die. I don't know. Uh, live, live, man. Just, uh, or lady or whoever's listening, live. Just go out and do the thing you want to do. Your time is not on your side here. Go out and the things you dream of doing, go do them. Don't fuck around about it. Just go do it. Even fail at your dreams. Failing at your dreams is as important as succeeding at your dreams. You're going to learn so much. I tell this every comic, learn how to bomb. Accept it. When you're bombing, accept it. You're going to learn so much from that experience. Then if you have a good show, great. That's where you expect to be. Right. But when you're not expecting, how did you get there? Right. But also travel. See the shit that you want to see. Don't goof around. Time is short. Make it happen. All right, final words. As always, tell me about your hard days.